Well, again, I want to welcome you to worship, whether you're here in the room or whether you're watching this on video later or you're watching it online some, some day down the line. We're just glad that you're connecting with us and that you're worshiping with us. So we're in the seventh week of our look at Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And just a quick review, a reminder that the Ephesians were a church, uh, a church of people in the first century in where modern-day Turkey is. And it's a church that was planted by a guy named Paul, the Apostle Paul. Paul was the greatest missionary and apostle and teacher and sharer of the gospel in all of history. And when Paul would establish a church, he'd stay connected to them. And when they had issues or problems that came up, Paul would write them a letter. And so what we're looking at is this letter that Paul wrote to a specific church at a specific time who were going through some things and he had some advice and some encouragement and some, some things for them to apply that are still good for us today. It's still a relevant message for us living in the year 2020. Now, in the letter, if you've been with us through the past six weeks, in the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul focuses on who we are in Christ. And he just keeps again and again saying, remember who you are. You know, when difficulties come up, when you have struggles, when there's suffering, when there's questions, remember who you are in Christ. Because of what Jesus has done for you and because of your faith in him, everything changes. You've been adopted into his family. You've been redeemed. You've been sealed. You've been raised up. You've been given a purpose. So remember who you are. It makes all the difference in the world. Well, then we transitioned into the second half of the book of Ephesians, the next three chapters. And here, Paul starts to talk about what this looks like in action. All right, so you remember who you are. You have this new identity. You're part of the family of God. So what should that look like as we live it out? What difference should it make in our life? He says, live up to your calling. Live up to the identity that you now have as a child of God. And so today we're looking at the second half of Ephesians chapter 5. And I want to start by reading two sections from our passage tonight. And it's going to be up on the screen so you can read along as I read this. So in verses 8 and 9, Paul says, For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light. From the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Now, the second part that I want to read for you comes from verses 15 and 16. Paul goes on to say, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Now, I don't think it's any coincidence that these exact same ideas and these same principles were taught by Jesus himself only about 30 years before Paul wrote this down. Paul is echoing what Jesus had to say in Matthew chapter 5, which is a part of his Sermon on the Mount. 
Now, as you probably know, Jesus was a master of using everyday objects and images to teach spiritual truths. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus uses some everyday objects to really explain exactly what Paul is saying in Ephesians chapter 5. Jesus uses two everyday items that are really essential for living. They're things that we easily take for granted. They're things we easily forget about. You know, sometimes we complain because there's too much or too little of these things. One of them is hardly seen at all. But if there's too little of it, you're going to take notice. And if there's too much of it, it can completely ruin your meal. The other thing is very visible. But if there's too little of it, you're going to seek it out. And if there's too much of it, it can cause you to close your eyes or even yell, turn it off. You might have guessed the two things that Jesus talks about and uses to teach us are salt and light. Jesus says, you and I are called, our purpose is to be salt and light in the world. And it's a combination that has the potential to change our lives, but also to change the world around us. And you see, this is exactly what Paul is talking about in Ephesians chapter 5. He's telling us to be light and to consider our influence, how we're influenced by others, but also how we can make an influence in other people's lives. I'd like to invite you to take out your Bibles with me, and I'd like to look a little bit deeper at Jesus' words from Matthew chapter 5. So if you grab your Bibles, you're going to turn to the New Testament. The very first gospel is the gospel of Matthew, and we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, starting with verse 13. It's also going to be up on the screens. And here's Jesus' take on exactly the same thing that Paul is talking about. In Ephesians chapter 5, Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So Jesus starts out, and he says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, in Jesus' time, salt was absolutely essential for living because of its ability to season food, but especially because it was able to preserve their foods. And it made it one of the most highly prized minerals on earth. There were some societies around Jesus' time that valued salt so much that they used it as money in commerce and trade. In fact, did you know our English word salary actually comes from the Latin word that refers to how Roman soldiers were even paid in salt? 
So I'd recommend you try it in your next salary negotiation with your boss. Just say, hey, I'm looking for a little extra salt here and see how it goes. Now, salt was highly symbolic as well. When a village or a town was conquered by an opposing force, they would often sprinkle salt all over the streets to symbolize a separation and a purification. Newborn children were sometimes rubbed with salt, believe it or not. It was to ritually purify and cleanse them. So Jesus comes along and he says, you are the salt of the earth. What in the world does he mean by this? Well, he's talking about the steady and quiet influence of a follower of Jesus. It's just as Paul says in Ephesians 5, he says, be careful how you live. Your everyday words and actions and decisions can have a great impact. It can have a ripple effect on the people around you, whether it's your family, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers. Do you ever stop to think about the influence that you have? You know, I think it's easy to sell yourself short, to think, you know, well, I don't really have that much of an impact. Nobody's watching what I do. But you could have an incredible impact on the people that are around you by living out your values, by living out the teachings of Jesus in your everyday life. You know, you don't have to go grab a box and go to a street corner and jump up on it and preach. You can simply live out your values. You can be a witness to other, through others through your character, through your decisions, through your choices. People are watching, and we have an opportunity to influence, to make an impact. Now, today, the phrase salt of the earth is commonly used to describe people, you know, who are good and humble. But when Jesus said this phrase, it would have been revolutionary. Nobody had heard anything like it before. I mean, it would be kind of like if I got up here and used a different seasoning, like you are the cayenne pepper of the world. You'd all wonder what I'm talking about. But I think it shows what Jesus is really getting at. He's not talking about our status. I mean, obviously, we're not salt. What he's talking about is our function, how we're called to bring zest, to bring seasoning to this world. Jesus is saying, let your influence be the seasoning for this world, to influence people, for his kingdom. Now, salt changes things. I mean, just a little bit of it can bring out tons of flavor. And so in the same way, with just a little bit of salt, a little bit of things in our life can bring great influence to others, can make a huge impact to our workplace, our neighborhood, our community. You know, for instance, there are studies that have been shown that when you clean up a street or a neighborhood and you get rid of the graffiti, it actually brings the whole crime rate down. You know, when we choose to speak positively and constructively about things, it can bring hope and positive, positivity to others. Simply being present on a street or being present in a school shows ownership and it shows investment and it shows that we care. Ravi Zacharias observes, he says, watching a trapeze show is breathtaking. 
We wonder at the dexterity and the timing. We gasp at near misses. In most cases, though, there's a net underneath. And so when the trapeze artist falls, they jump up and they bounce back up to the trapeze and start again. In Christ, he says, we live on the trapeze. The whole world should be able to watch and say, look at how they live, how they love one another. Look how well the husbands treat their wives and their wives treat their husbands. Aren't they the best workers in the factories and offices? Aren't they the best neighbors and the best students? That is to live on the trapeze, being salt to the world. But then he says, what happens if we slip? Well, the net is surely there. And that's the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's provided forgiveness for all of our trespasses, both the net and the ability to stay on the trapeze are works of God's grace. Now, of course, salt is only good when it's actually used, when you actually pour it out of the shaker. And so we need to be willing to use our influence wherever God has placed us. Jesus puts it this way. He says, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything. God has placed you where you are at on purpose. And he's placed you where you are at to be salt. Jesus is saying, don't lose your flavor. That means resist the temptation to just try to blend into the crowd or blend into the world. You know, when we live a godly life, it might cause others to say, man, that looks weird. You're strange. You're different. And you know what? That's okay. Let mercy and kindness and forgiveness and love be the seasoning, be the influence that you are showering over the place that you've been called to be. The world is in desperate need of the zest of Christ. Now, salt is also a preservative. In Jesus' time, of course, there were no refrigerators or freezers. And so salt allowed people to keep food for an extended amount of time. It kept the food from going bad, and it kept them from getting sick. Well, God desires us to be salt in the world, to keep the world from going bad. We're called to be his hands and his feet, and so the question is, where can you be salt this week? How can you help positively influence the people around you? Is it in your workplace? Is it at your school? Is it in your home? Is it in your neighborhood? One last thing about salt is it often makes us thirsty, right? And when people encounter us as salt, people who willingly help and serve, and love extravagantly, and freely forgive, well, it's going to cause them to want more, right? And they're going to soon realize their thirst, their thirst for more love and peace and joy. And ultimately, God will show them that what they really thirst for is a relationship with Jesus, now, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before others. Paul says in Ephesians 5, live as people of the light. 
And while salt is the quiet, steady influence of a follower of Jesus, light is the visible presence of God in our lives. Now, first, we need to be absolutely clear about the source of the light, because there's been a ton of wise and powerful and smart people throughout history. Many of them have written volume after volume of books. They've advanced great ideas and great thinking and philosophy, and oftentimes people think that they are the source of light. You know, the logo for knowledge or education is often a lamp. And sometimes we think, well, if we just study enough, if we just try hard enough, if we just learn enough, somehow we can manufacture our own light. In fact, New Age thinkers often say, you know, you just need to turn up the light that's already within you. But the Bible is clear. All that is apart from God is darkness because it is broken because it's been fractured by sin. It's only when we are in the Lord that we are truly able to walk in the light. Church, we need to remember at all times, Jesus is the only light of the world. Look at John 8, 12. It's up on the screen. Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Now, what that means is we don't need to create our own light, but instead we are called to reflect his light. Just like the sun is the source of the light that the moon reflects back to the earth, Jesus is the source of the light that we are called to reflect to the world. Our whole lives can be a reflection of the light of Christ. Let people see how he's changed you. Let people see how he's made a difference in your everyday life. Show them with your love and your forgiveness and your grace, which he showed to you first. Psalm 27 verse 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I think there are all sorts of reasons why people are afraid these days. It can be guilt, can be uncertainty, can be hopelessness, it can be insecurity, maybe it's the economy, terrorism, war, divisions. We have the opportunity to shine the light of Jesus so that people are no longer afraid, so that they're able to find hope and confidence in a living relationship with Jesus, the Savior. The psalmist says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I be afraid or whom shall I fear? There was a man named Clarence W. Hall and he followed the U.S. troops through Okinawa in 1945. And he came upon a small town that was a beautiful example of Christian community. And he wrote about it. He was a reporter. He says, we had seen other Okinawan villages, 
down at the heels and despairing. By contrast, this one shone like a diamond. Everywhere we were greeted by smiles and dignified bows. Proudly, the old men showed us their spotless homes, their terraced fields, their storehouses, their granaries, and their prized sugar mill. Hall said that he saw no jails, no drunkenness, and that divorce was unknown in this village. Well, then he was told that an American missionary had come there some 30 years earlier. And while he was there, he led two elderly townspeople to Christ and left them with one Bible that had been translated into Japanese. Well, these new believers studied the scriptures and they started leading their fellow villagers to Jesus. Hall's Jeep driver, who is also present, later said he was amazed at how this village stood out from all the others. And then he's quoted as saying, so this is what comes out of only a Bible and a couple of old guys wanting to live like Jesus. You see, light is radiated through our example, how we choose to live our life, how we choose to interact with others. You see, light is meant to be seen. Paul says in Ephesians 5, live as people of the light. Jesus In verse 15 of Matthew 5 says, No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. Now, as you can imagine, Israelite homes in the first century were very dark places. They often had one very small window. Of course, they had no electricity. So their only light was a bowl filled with oil and a wick. And that bowl was placed up on a lampstand to give light to the whole home. The most difficult thing, though, was keeping the lamp lit because they didn't have matches and they didn't have lighters. And so no one wanted the light to go out because it would be so much work to go get it lit again. But when people went out of the house, they wanted to make sure the whole place wasn't going to burn down. So what they would do is take a very, very large earthen vessel and place it over the bowl that was still lit, and they'd place that on the floor. And then when they came back, they could take that big vessel off, and it would still be lit. They'd put it back up on the lampstand. Jesus is saying, no one lights a lamp just to put it on the ground and then cover it up. Well, the reason that you light it is to put it up on the lights, up on the lampstand. The light's purpose is to shine. Now, positioning the light is key. I mean, the lampstand obviously elevates it and helps maximize its brightness. As Christians, our desire should be that people see the light of Christ radiating from us. Not to hide it away, not to turn down the dimmer switch, not to try to just blend in with everyone else. We're called to shine, to shine boldly. Now, another great thing about light is that many lights can join together to shine even brighter. The image that comes to my mind is that of 
Split Rock Lighthouse up on the North Shore of Lake Superior. Maybe you've visited there before or seen pictures before. It was built after 29 ships sank right off that cliff in 1905. 130 feet up, they built this lighthouse. Now, it has a specific kind of lens called a Fresnel lens, which is made up of 242 separate prisms that reflect and magnify the light. And so with just one light in the middle and all of those prisms, that light can be seen 25 miles away. And so ever since 1905, it's kept ships safe and away from all the dangerous rocks. And it gives the ship's captains confidence and assurance as they sail during the night or in the thick fog. Now those little prisms in that lens, I think are like the church. They're like small groups and other ministries. They're like Christians coming together to shine their lights and make a difference in the world. Pointing people back to the hope and the life that we can have in Jesus. And exposing all of the darkness and the dangers that are in front of us in the world. Now the revolutionary thing is that we are all equally able to be a part of Jesus' mission. He doesn't just pick the smartest or the most qualified or the hardest workers or the most talented or the strongest. No, every single one of us, no matter who we are, is able to be both salt and light in the world. Now, the thing about salt is it still works in even very small amounts. If you don't believe me, put some on your ice cream tonight, right? Even just a little bit of salt still has an impact. And so every one of us, no matter who we are, is able to make an impact. We're able to make an influence wherever we're at, even in the smallest ways. And even a tiny bit of light can be powerful in total darkness. And when many, many lights come together to shine together, well, the darkness doesn't even stand a chance. Every one of us here can be both salt and light. Well, Jesus ends in Matthew uh, chapter 5 by giving us our purpose for doing this, giving us our motivation. And that's so that we can fill the earth with God's glory. In verse 16, he says, Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That's our job description as followers of Jesus. It's not about us. It's not about saying, well, I'm going to be an LED bulb, or I'm going to be a fluorescent bulb, or I'm going to be a halogen bulb, and I'm going to gather my own little group together. It's not about us at all. It's all about God and his glory. Now, an interesting thing to note about verse 16 is it's the very first time that Jesus uses the name Father to describe God. And I think it's so appropriate that our loving Father is most glorified when we shine our light for others. When we love and we care and we forgive and we treat others with grace, just like he's done for us. 
You see, our job as Christians is to live like Jesus did, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and then to duck and get out of the way so that people don't look at us. No, they look at him and they become connected to his love and his grace so that people give glory to the one who deserves it. I think in many ways, though, this sounds like an impossible task. I mean, when we're honest about all the ways we fall short, all the ways that we don't measure up, all the ways that we fail to reflect God in this world, it can sound like an impossible task. But never forget that Jesus himself was perfect salt, and he was perfect light. His influence is still unmatched today, 2,000 years after he lived. His light is the only true light of the world, and it's still giving life and light to billions and billions of Christians in this world. Jesus was put on top of a hill to be seen by all on a cross, a symbol of defeat and death, but he was able to turn it into a symbol of victory and power and hope. And the Holy Spirit now lives within us. He gives us his power so that we can be salt and light. What was impossible without him is now possible with him. And so each one of us can live up to our calling, just like Paul says. Each one of us can be salt and light wherever we go. Find ways to be salt in this world, to bring influence, to be a witness for God. Ask God how you can better be salt for him this week. And then find ways to shine and to reflect the light of Christ. Ask God, how can I best reflect your love this week so that others can come to know him? And all of this, church, is so that God gets all the glory, so that more people are drawn to him, and so that by believing in him, coming into a saving relationship with him, they too might become salt and light. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for your incredible love and grace, forgiveness, care, kindness, the list goes on and on. God, we thank you for giving us this great calling to be both salt and light in the world. God, help us to not take for granted the opportunities you put in front of us for us to make an impact in others' lives, to be an influence in other people's lives. God, give us the courage and the strength and the power to not just copy the ways of the world, but instead to live our lives for you, adding zest wherever we go. And then God, help us to more clearly reflect your light wherever we go. Help us to remember day after day that you are the light of the world, and so help us to shine brightly for you so that everybody we meet doesn't look at us, but instead is able to meet you 
so that every person experiences your everlasting love. God, we can't do this on our own, but we know with you all things are possible. So help us. Help us be salt and light this week. God, we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.